right. As many of you know, Pastor Barton is preaching out of the book of Proverbs, so please turn with me to Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart, so you will find favor and good success in sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him who he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. And then please turn with me to chapter 30 of Proverbs, verses 1 to 4. The words of Agur, son of Jaca, the oracle. The man declares, I am weary, O God. I am weary, O God, and worn out. Surely I am too stupid to be a man. I have not the understanding of a man. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One. Who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name, and what is his son's name? Surely you know. This is the word of the Lord. All right, Central Family, everyone who's joining us, how are you guys doing? Everyone enjoying sitting on your couch still? I miss you guys. I miss, I honestly really, this is getting a little long now. I miss having people here. Preaching to a camera is the worst. I'm doing my best, but uh, I'm telling you, I cannot wait until we can gather again, uh, worship together, hear you singing, just sense the moving of the Spirit on our midst. One of the things I miss the most is just afterwards in the foyer, fellowshipping with one another, just hearing how God is working in people's hearts. All these things are part of the losses that we're experiencing during the season. Of course, God is sustaining us. Things are moving forward, but I can't wait until we can get back together again. Until that time, though, we're going to continue on. We're going to do what we do, preach the gospel, let the gospel come work in our hearts and renew us. And so we're going to continue on this morning in uh, this new series that we're doing through the book of Proverbs. Now, Proverbs is a book that we call wisdom literature or wisdom writings, and we say that it's classified as that for the simple reason that Proverbs is meant to teach you wisdom. It's intended to make you into a wise person, that is, a person that is skilled at navigating all the complexities of life. You know how to face situations and how to deal with them. We don't talk a lot about wisdom in our culture. It's not not a big subject, is it? Uh, We talk a lot about information. Oh, yes. Uh, Facts, knowledge. We talk a lot about these kind of things, but we do not talk a lot about wisdom. The Atlantic Magazine published an article uh, a while ago on one reason why this may be the case, why we care a lot about information, but wisdom is not something we're as obsessed about as we are with information. Uh, The title of the article kind of tells you a little bit about it. The title is, Is Google Making Us Stupid? Is Google Making Us Stupid? And what the author points out is that the very way we use our phones and our computers 
that is shaping us. Whether we like it or not, the way we use our devices is shaping us. No longer do we have to think really hard ponder on them, go seek out answers, and as we're seeking them out, begin to think more and more. No, we now expect to receive information and knowledge how our phones give it to us, which is immediately, instantaneously, with very little effort involved. And so the author of this article says that where we used to be like scuba divers swimming through a sea of words and discovering, and it's slower, yes, but we would be scuba divers swimming through a sea of words. Now, he says, we are more like people on jet skis just skimming along the surface. Wisdom is going deeper. Information and knowledge is important, but that's more like skimming along the surface. I mean, there is no question that we live in the most knowledgeable generation in the history of the world. Maybe you could say that we are the smartest generation in the history of the world. But it does not follow that just because we have the most knowledge of any generation in history, that we are also the wisest generation in history. Those two are not the same thing. You can have high knowledge, but completely lack wisdom. And of course, we all know this. We know that there's plenty of people who have PhDs, three or four PhDs, and they've totally blown up their life because they made some very unwise decisions. Knowledge does not necessarily equal wisdom. Wisdom is not something that can be learned just by a quick Google search. Wisdom is not something that you can learn very fast. It takes time. It's a skill that has to be learned and mastered. Think about other areas in life where we think of people who are skilled, really skilled at something. Think about uh, sports or music or art, maybe carpentry, uh, uh, maybe someone's ability to teach young children. Think about those people. Imagine the most skilled people you can think of, way above average. Why are they so above average? Sure, there's some natural gifts in there. But isn't it because they have spent countless hours honing their craft, working at it, and because they have spent so much time over so long in their lives, they can see things that you cannot. They, they can see nuance. They can see little things that the rest of us, whether it's just a sound of a note and how to make it sound a little bit better, whether it's how to score a goal in a way that no one else really can see it, how to split between a defense, you don't see it. But they do, and that's what makes them great. That's like wisdom. Wisdom is a skill that takes time to grow in through lots of trial and error, through lots of years that got to pass in your life. Wisdom, then, is not a skill like music or sports. Wisdom is a skill like walking a path and being able to anticipate what is ahead of your feet, knowing where roots will be, how to avoid roots, and of course, how to avoid the cliff that you might fall off if you lead the path. This is the kind of wisdom we all need. I'll just be honest, this is the wisdom I need. I mean, negatively speaking, I need to grow in wisdom because I want to walk the path of life wisely so I don't end up blowing up my own life, so I don't end up losing my marriage, alienating my kids, getting fired from my job, experiencing some sort of financial ruin. I don't want that in my life, and I trust that you don't either. Positively speaking, I want to enjoy a great marriage. I want to have a great relationship with my kids. 
I want to do a good job at my job and be able to bless other people. And I don't want to experience financial ruin. I want to invest my money wisely. Wisdom, then, is the ability, it's the skill to be able to navigate the path of life and all the things that come with it. And this is what Proverbs is about. Proverbs is about navigating all the complexities of life and teaching you how to do that, which is wisdom. So, what we're doing right now is we're beginning our series through this book of Proverbs. And for the first three weeks, what I'm doing is kind of introducing the big themes. If you look at Proverbs, the way it's set up, the first 10 chapters are kind of big themes on, on wisdom. And then what happens is we're going to take 11 weeks and we are going to dig into each week a very specific and a very narrow area of life where you and I, we all need to grow in wisdom. So we'll look at topics uh, such as sexuality, money, how to deal with your anger, friendship, how to communicate to other people in a way that will win them and not drive them away all of these and a whole bunch of more important subjects. But today, I want us to zero in on this single theme, that wisdom is like a path. Wisdom is a path. We've got to grasp this, and when we get this big picture, it'll make such a difference in the whole way that we approach it. So if you want to grow in wisdom, then our passage today says you've got to understand wisdom as a path, and more particularly, you need to understand three things that we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the path of wisdom, the steps of wisdom, and the one who blazed the trail of wisdom. Now, just before we get going, each week I'm going to recommend a whole bunch of different books and resources depending on the topic. Today, I want to recommend to you this uh, devotional written by Tim Keller. It's a yearly devotional every single day of the year, and it walks you through the book of Proverbs. Uh, So great way if you want to study the uh, the book of Proverbs more, pick this up. I'd highly recommend it to you. All right. You ready to go this morning? Ready to learn about the path of wisdom? All right, let's begin then by talking about exactly that. Let's talk about the path of wisdom. The book of Proverbs talks about wisdom in different ways, with different metaphors. But one of the biggest metaphors is that of a path. And you can see it right here in our passage. The heart of the passage is verses 5 and 6. And there you can see this theme of a path. Here's what we read. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. This is one of the most famous verses in Proverbs, right? And do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him and he will do what for you? He will make straight your paths. There you go. Life, wisdom is like a path that we need to learn how to walk. This theme of wisdom as a path continues on in the chapter. This in Proverbs 3.23. Then you will walk on your way securely and your foot will not stumble. Walk in a path, follow the way of wisdom, you will not trip along your path of life. And then the next chapter has this little proverb that says this, ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Think about life like a path. That's what Proverbs is saying. Think about it like a path. Now, why does Proverbs talk about life as a path. Let's just think about this, go a little bit deeper into this. I think it's an excellent metaphor for life. Lots can be said here, but let me say two things. First of all, I think it's important because it emphasizes how critical all those little things in life are. Big things matter in life, but the little things. So if you're walking a path, 
How do you get from point A to point B? It's, it's really not complicated at all. It's just one foot in front of the other. It's just left, right, left, right. There's nothing complicated about it. But what you need to do is just keep doing little things over and over and over and over again. And if you take enough steps, you will eventually get to the destination that you are seeking. Wisdom is the same way. Wisdom is about taking step, 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 step. Little things growing in these little skills like a musician does scales each and every day or practices all the time. Wisdom is something that we need to continually do and it's the little things that over life add up. See, put it this way. Wisdom is more like a path than it is like a door. A door, I mean, all you gotta do is just turn the handle, open the door, and you're into a brand new space. It's not complicated, it's very fast, and you get quick results. That's not the way a, a long walk is. You, you can go for a long period of time, step, 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 just continuing on. It takes time to get to your destination. And so wisdom is, we'd like it, I think, to be like a door, you know, just do a Google search. Okay, I learned this is how we do wisdom. Just listen to a podcast. Okay, now I know the, the two steps to wisdom. I have become a wise person. That's not the way wisdom works. Wisdom is not like a door that you walk through. Wisdom is like a path that you must walk doing the little things over and over and over. Now later in the message, second point, we're gonna look at some of these steps, but for now just consider that, that life is like a path, wisdom is like a path because it emphasizes the little things. But secondly, here's another thought. Wisdom is also like a path and that it gives you the easiest way to walk through tough terrain. That's what a path is, right? People build paths because the terrain is not easy to follow. And so if you follow this path, this is going to make life better for you. You can, of course, go off the path if you want. But in lots of places, if you go off the path, you might run into thorn bushes. You might get stuck in some mud. And you might fall off a cliff and die. That's why there's a path there. The path is meant to make the easiest way for you to get to your destination. Now this is what Proverbs is about. Proverbs is connected deeply to Genesis chapters one and two. There we learn that it was God who created the universe. And God made his universe in a certain way. He made certain laws for his universe. Obviously the most easiest example we could use would be the law of gravity. The law of gravity is something that you can fight against it if you want, I guess but you'll pay the price every time you do it. So yeah, you can go up to the edge of a cliff and, and look at a great view, watch a sunset, but if you're wise, you will deeply respect the law of gravity. If you're a fool, you'll say, no, I can walk on air, and you'll step off the cliff, and you'll find out just how important that law actually is in following that law. This is what Proverbs is saying as well. God didn't just set up his universe with laws like gravity, there are also laws to do with relationships with other people. Things like speaking the truth. Uh, things like the way that you communicate. And, and are you quick to anger? Are you slow to anger? These are all laws. And if you stick to the laws, if you follow the path, life will, generally speaking, go a whole lot better for you than if you say, I'm going to go against that law. I'm going to go against the grain, against the fabric of the universe, even though God created it that way. Then you will be acting the fool. And when you act a fool, you will pay the consequences. So wisdom is like a path. 
in the sense that it, it shows us the easier way to walk. What we're learning in the book of Proverbs is this is God's path. Here's how you walk wisely. Wisdom means learning how God has made the universe, how he's made the, the fabric of reality and learning to line up your life in accordance with the fabric of reality. And if you do that, generally speaking, your life will go better. Chapter three that we just, Tom just read for us lists all kinds of benefits if you follow the way of wisdom. So just look at some of these benefits. This is pretty incredible. If you learn wisdom and you walk this path, verse two, for instance, calls you to keep the path of wisdom, and then it says this happens. For the length of days and the years of life and peace they will add to you. Walk the path of wisdom, you will know more peace, and it's saying here, you're going to live longer. Okay, interesting, but this keeps going. Verse four calls us to learn God's faithful love for us and then to show this love to other people and then listen to the benefit. If you learn God's love for you and you show this to others, what happens? So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Again, huge benefits it's promising you if you walk this path of wisdom. Verse six says, if you trust in the Lord and acknowledge him, what will he do for you? It's the famous verse, he will make straight your paths. Instead of a bumpy path all over that's hard to follow, he'll make it straight for you. Verse eight says, if you place your whole life under God, if you turn from evil, then you will experience physical strength. Look at verse eight. It says, it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. And then verse 10, this one's a little bit crazy, get ready for this one. If you will give generously to God of your wealth, then God will give generously to you. Verse 10 says this, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Now look at that list of benefits. Who doesn't want that? If you walk the path of wisdom, here we're learning that your life will go better, you'll live longer, you'll have favor with God and with people, you'll be physically and psychologically healthier, and he's seeming to say you'll have more money. I can hear you already. I can hear the objections already coming. The objection would be something like, really? I mean, is this a health and wealth prosperity gospel preaching here? Just believe in God, he'll, he'll just give to him money and he'll, he'll always make you rich. And, and then we'll just kind of say, but that's not really how life always works. Plenty of wise people, this does not happen to them. They struggle with things like mental illness. So really, are they having better psychological benefits? Doesn't seem like Solomon, doesn't seem like you're being truthful here. Doesn't seem to line up with reality. The key to interpret the book of Proverbs correctly is to make sure you read it as a whole. When you read Proverbs as a whole, you see that it is not naive about the hardships of life. It talks about the wicked prospering. It talks about how innocent people suffer. It talks about how God disciplines his children. This book is not naive to the hardships of life. You remember Ecclesiastes was all about that, the hardships of life. Proverbs is a little bit of a different spin though, where Ecclesiastes is really about your good, you're going to die and be forgotten and, and work as hard. How should you live now? Proverbs is different than that. Proverbs does not so much emphasize what's wrong with the world 
as it emphasizes the order with which God has created it. Oh yes, that order has been disrupted by sin, so things do not always work the way that they should, but God's ordered universe still remains. Like the law of gravity is still in effect, there are laws to do with, for instance, your relationships, that they still happen. Wisdom means learning how to follow those laws so that life will go better for you. What Proverbs is saying to you and I, if you will walk the path of wisdom, then note this, generally speaking, not always, but generally speaking, life will go better for you. There is an order. There is a path. And if you will learn it and if you will follow it, generally speaking, life will go better for you. You already know this. Think about who is wealthier? The person who is lazy or the person who works hard? Wouldn't, you, wouldn't everyone say, generally speaking, it's the hardworking person? Oh, sure, some lazy people get rich, but we all know it's the hardworking person who has more wealth. Or think about it this way, who experiences less mental stress? The person who is always lying and having to remember their lies and keep up with their lies, or the person who just tells the truth and lives on the truth? Generally speaking, yeah, there's sociopaths, correct. But generally speaking, you will have less mental stress if you will tell the truth. So you don't always have to be catching, what did I say last time? This is the fabric of the universe. Truth is woven through the fabric of the universe. There is order to the universe. Yes, sin disrupts it, but generally speaking, if you are a truth teller, life is going to go better for you. So that's the first point. We're talking here about the path of wisdom, that wisdom is like a path that we need to learn how to walk, that God has set up his universe in such a way that if you will follow this path, life will generally speaking go better for you, and God wants this for you because if you go off the path, yes, you can. You can go against the fabric of the universe, but you might end up in a thorn bush. You might even fall off a cliff. So the path of wisdom is something that we all need to learn how to walk. And as we've seen this first point, we walk the path of wisdom by learning what are the steps to take? What is the left, right, left, right? What are all these little things that if we do them, we will become wise and then we will walk the path? So then that makes us ask the obvious question, okay, what are some of these kind of daily, repetitive, left, right, left, right type steps that we need to take in order to become wise? Well, let's turn now in the second place to talk about the steps of wisdom, the steps of wisdom. This is some of the practical stuff now, the areas that we need to grow in if we're going to be wise. Proverbs has a lot to say on this. Really, it's the whole book. But here in this chapter, what we see is at least five things that we need to do. These little things, daily things, left, right, left, right, that if you'll do them over your lifetime, you will grow in wisdom. So let's go through these, not spending too much time on each one, but quickly going through a big picture here. First, to grow in wisdom, take steps to simply know God. To know God. That's the first thing. Look at verse 3 with me. Verse 3 says this. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart, so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. 
Now this little phrase at the beginning, steadfast love, faithfulness, these are terms that God uses to describe himself and his character. He's a God of steadfast love and faithfulness. It comes from the time with Israel when he made a covenant with Israel, making Israel his people. It's his love. Then it's, it's like a marriage. God entered into a marriage, a covenant with the nation of Israel, promising to be with them, to be for them. And of course, for us today, we understand that in a whole deeper way. For through the blood of Christ, God has made a covenant with anyone who comes to him so that you know God's great love for you in Christ, his faithfulness to you. And what this proverb is then saying is growing in wisdom means learning to know God, to know his steadfast love and faithfulness toward his people. You gotta go deeper into what he did for you on the cross, deeper into all the things that he's done for you through Christ. So you gotta bind this around your neck. What it's saying is get it into you. Constantly think about it. Constantly get it deeper down. And as that steadfast love and faithfulness goes deeper and deeper into you, you will become more and more of a secure person. For when you know that God's steadfast love and faithfulness is for you, when this goes deep into you, you become the most secure person in the universe. You can face anything. You'll have so much security. And then what this does is it enables you to show this to others as well. You're not so consumed with self anymore. You know you belong. You are loved. You have salvation in Christ. You're freed from judgment. All these kind of things. You become more secure. And so you begin to show it to others. So write it on your heart. So what's the left, right, left, right? Just daily saying, God, I want to know you more. Meditating on Scripture. Prayer to him each day. Reading books to learn more and more about what the Bible teaches Listening to songs that just lift your heart up and reminding you of certain truths, reminding you of God's great love for you in Christ. You're binding them around your neck. You're writing them on the tablet of your heart. Daily, you're seeking to know God. This, if you do this daily, some days you just kind of feel like, okay, well, I read a little bit of the Bible. I don't, didn't get a huge amount out of it. But you do this daily. It's like just taking one more step, one more step, one more step. It's not spectacular. It's not a once and for all moment, but that's how you walk a path. Left, right, left, right. That's the first thing. So second thing, to grow in wisdom then, take also take steps to know yourself. And here's, I mean that in the sense that this chapter means it, and there are really two verses here. Here's the first one. First of all, Proverbs 3, 5 says, do not lean on your own understanding. Then verse 7 goes on to say this, be not wise in your own eyes. Oh, <laughs> what a proverb for nowadays when everyone has got everything figured out and posts everything they know about and gets in huge arguments. Be not wise in your own eyes. It is the fool in Proverbs who thinks they have it all figured out. The fool is the person, we, you've seen this many times in your life, who's always making excuses for why things have gone wrong. It's always someone else's fault. It's the situation's fault. But I'm right. It's everyone else that's wrong. No. Proverbs is saying to us, be not wise in your own eyes but rather humble yourself before God. Say, God, I have weaknesses. Learn your own weaknesses. Learn where you're good at things, good, but learn where you're not so strong. Learn your flaws. Learn where you are more prone to sins. Know yourself. It's a painful thing to do. 
But if you want to become wise, you've got to know yourself, to know where you're strong and where you're weak. Or else you'll start operating out of weakness and you'll make a fool of yourself. Where you, you'll, sh- you'll discover, where do I need other people to help me? First, most of all, you'll come before God and you'll always be saying, God, I desperately need you. I need you to do my job well. I need you to learn how to relate to people well, to relate to my family, to my spouse, to kids, whatever, grandkids. I need you, Father, enable me to do these things. That's hard to do, but that's why you gotta go back to step one again because when you start to know yourself well and you see how sinful you are, how weak you are, you need to go back and remind yourself of God's steadfast love and faithfulness. Only when you're secure in that can you handle taking a true look at yourself and saying, yes, I do need help. That's the second thing. Third, to grow in wisdom. In the third place, we need to hear this. We need to submit to Scripture. Submit to Scripture. When you see that you're not wise in your own eyes, and when you see I want to know God, then this one just makes sense, right? submit to scripture you want to say okay God I don't have it all figured out but you've given us your word I want to understand it that is why Solomon says this to his son in verse one he says my son do not forget my teaching but let your heart keep my commandments keep my commandments so the question then is how are you daily taking this step left right, left, right? How are you submitting to Scripture, learning it, meditating on it, maybe memorizing it, and just daily taking one more step to submit yourself to Scripture? This is the path of wisdom. Again, not spectacular stuff, is it? But you're just taking another step. You do this repetitively over the years, over the decades. It's the way you grow in wisdom. Fourth, to grow in wisdom, in the fourth place, we need to be generous little switch here in this chapter. Look at verses 9 and 10 with me where it says this, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. What first fruits are? If you're a farmer, your, your first fruits are the very first part of your harvest, the first off that got ripe that you could eat. The rest of the harvest hasn't even come yet. And here's the key point, a farmer doesn't even know if the rest of the harvest is going to come in for sure or not. But the first fruits have come, and in the nation of Israel, they would take their first fruits, the very first stuff, and they would give that to the Lord. Trust to say, God, we trust that you will provide the rest of it for us, that you will provide for us. We're going to give you the very first of our crops. So in modern terms, this is the call to give to God first from your paycheck, not waiting to see how much will be left at the end of the month. You know, in financial terms, they often use the phrase, pay yourself first, as in take some money off the top of your paycheck, invest it right away before you have a chance to spend it. This goes beyond that principle. It says pay God first. Because if you don't, then what ends up happening is you end up just using it all up. You end up like uh, the funny story about a farmer who told his pastor uh, that his cow had given birth, surprisingly, to two calves instead of just one calf. And he came up to his pastor feeling really good and feeling really blessed. And he said, Pastor, I just want you to know uh, that when these cows grow up and, and I sell them, I am going to give all the money I earn from one of the calves to the church. And then he walked away. Uh, a few weeks later, he came back up to his pastor, kind of feeling a little sheepish, and he said, Pastor, I'm sorry to say this to you, uh, but one of the calves died, and sadly, 
it was the Lord's calf. Isn't that that's so bad? But isn't that what happens to all of us? It's often, far too often, it's the Lord's calf that dies. In other words, we have great intentions to give to the Lord, but, well, we just used up our money on all kinds of other things. So what this is saying to us is the wise person begins to be deliberate and intentional in their giving. They're wise in the way that they plan. They give to the Lord first so that they don't end up at the end of the month or whenever you give with nothing left to give to the Lord and those best intentions don't go anywhere. This is what generosity looks like. So the question for you and I is, how are you ensuring that you're being generous? Because then you learn how to trust the Lord and all the other things. You're putting him first. You're saying, God, I don't even know sometimes how this is going to work, but I want to be generous with you, trusting my whole life and my financial situation to you. This is where you truly learn wisdom, trusting in the Lord in all areas. And money is one of the hardest places for some of us to trust him. So what steps could you take this next week, this next month, to begin to walk the path of wisdom when it comes to generosity? Now finally, on this second point, to grow in wisdom means to take steps in the final place to learn from adversity, to learn from adversity. Look at verses 11 and 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Verse, these verses are trying to say to us that, a, well, even just looking back, they're connected to verses 9 and 10. Just because you're generous doesn't mean life's going to always go well for you. There's going to be hardship in your life. And this verse is talking about the Lord's discipline in your life. It's not saying that every single bad thing that happens in your life is God disciplining you. But it is saying, as Hebrews 12 says, we ought to just treat these hard things as the Lord's discipline for us so we can learn. And the key part of this is don't grow weary under hardship. It's going to come. It's going to be hard for you. But use this hardship as the Father's love for you, teaching you, pulling you away from things that are going to harm you, training you in what it means to be a son because you are a son or you are a daughter whom he loves. Got to learn from adversity. Do you know the name Elizabeth Elliot? Famous woman, if you don't know her, you ought to look her up, read some of her materials. She is, of course, uh, she was married to the famous missionary named Jim Elliot. And if you don't know that story, really need to look it up. Uh, Jim Elliott and some others were, went to Ecuador to share the gospel with some tribes there and were killed uh, upon first contact. So he was a martyr. His wife Elizabeth, of course, then had to deal with her own husband's murder and passing. Huge story that goes with it. Eventually, though, she remarries, and then sadly, again, her second husband dies. This is a woman who knows adversity, a woman who knows suffering. She tells a story about visiting a farmer named uh, John Jones in northern Wales. And she was with this farmer for a little while. And one day she, he had a task to do and he took her with him on this task. And they went out to his farm. And there was this giant like huge bathtub basically out in the middle of the field. And it was filled with fluid. It was an antiseptic fluid. And why he'd filled it with this is because he had sheep, he had rams, and the parasites and, and the bacteria and stuff would grow on them and it would, it would kill them. And so what he had to do every single year is take these sheep, take the rams, put them into this giant bathtub basically, and dunk them under the antiseptic fluid so that the parasites would all die and it would really save the sheep's lives. And so she watched as one by one, 
this farmer named John, Farmer John, would take the sheep, put them into the vat, and he would dunk them completely under. Noses, eyes, everything, right under the fluid. And of course, the sheep would just lose their minds. And they would try to scramble out of the vat, and then there would be the sheepdog would be there, snarling and snapping at them as they tried to climb out. They'd fall back in. John would have to plunge them underneath this antiseptic fluid again and again. This is what Elizabeth Elliot writes. I've had some experiences in my life which have made me feel very sympathetic to those poor sheep. I couldn't figure out any reason for the treatment I was getting from the great shepherd I had trusted. And like these sheep, I didn't get a hint of explanation. She goes on then to say what our great problem is when we're in adversity. She says this, we refuse to admit the distance between the great shepherd and us sheep. The wisdom differential between the two of us is infinitely greater than the wisdom differential between a shepherd and the sheep. Sometimes the most loving thing to do with a sheep, if you're a shepherd, is to grab it, cast it down, seize it, and tie it up with not a word of explanation. Difficulties and suffering and adversity are inevitable in this life. What Proverbs is saying to us is those times of adversity can either teach us more wisdom or we can become more foolish. What it's saying is we need to accept trouble and learn from adversity knowing, as we said at the beginning of this point, that God's steadfast love, his faithfulness is with us in Christ. He will never leave us nor forsake us even though we may feel like it. He is always with us and he will bring us one day into a great reward. But in the meantime, like a father does things with his children and the children often, my kids can never understand why they'd ever be disciplined. In their minds, they never should get disciplined, right kids? But sometimes parents have to discipline their kids And sometimes the kids can never understand it, but a parent, a good parent, only does those kind of things out of love and care and concern for their children. This is God's heart for you. Learn from adversity. So wisdom then, as we've seen in this second point, is gained just step by step over a lifetime as we seek to know God, to know ourselves, to submit ourselves to Scripture, to be generous with our money, and to learn from adversity. Now, we could just end there, just say, go, okay, go do this. But I think there's a final, really important thing that we need to talk about. Now that we've talked about the path of wisdom and the steps of wisdom, let's bring it all together by talking in the final place about the one who blazed the trail of wisdom. The one who blazed the trail of wisdom. Tom read for us from Proverbs chapter 30, which is not the sayings of Solomon, it's a different wise man, and his name was Agur. Now, any of you are thinking of having kids? I might recommend Agur as a great boy's name. Just saying, solid, very masculine. Agur, I don't know, he might need to carry a sword, wear a Viking helmet, solid name for all those of you looking for a boy's name. Agur, though, was a very wise man as well, and we have this, the wise sayings of Agur. Agur is also seeking wisdom, But he, when he looks out, he says, I can't see the path. There's no, I just see like a forest, 
maybe a little bit of a path, but I cannot see the way to live. And he's specifically thinking of some things. He confesses, I just cannot understand the ways of God. Ever feel like that? I don't understand it. He says, I can't really understand life. He says, I am not wise at all. I do not understand suffering. I don't get it a lot of the time. He realizes that his great problem is that he can really never know the answers to these kind of things. And he goes on like, no human being could ever know this. How can we possibly know how to get through this forest, this rugged train with cliffs and all that? How can we get through this forest unless somebody knows how to get through it and can make a path for us? It would be like in our day, I mean, you're lost in a forest somewhere, you don't even know which way is which, and no idea of the train, you just know it's scary, it's deadly. The only one way you could do it is if you had a, a drone or something, you could send it up really high, you could have a bird's eye view of it, and when you come back down, then you could say, okay, I know the way. I, I've been up high, I've seen it all, and now I can lead us through. What, what Agar says is, if there was someone who could go up to heaven who could learn all the mysteries of God and then come back down and could tell us this, then this person could blaze a trail for us, a path of wisdom that we could then walk. We could trust that person because they've been up, they know the truth, whereas we're stuck down in the forest, the dark and scary forest, we're not sure the path of wisdom. And so he says this in the kind of big conclusion of his speech, I have not learned wisdom nor have I knowledge of the Holy One. Who has ascended to heaven and come down? What is his name? And what is his son's name? Centuries after Agur wrote these words, there was a very famous, a very smart teacher in Israel named Nicodemus. One of the smartest theologians around, and he was having an evening conversation with a very young man named Jesus. And he was just dumbfounded by the wisdom and the knowledge that Jesus seemed to possess as Jesus spoke about the way that the Spirit of God works, about how a person gets into the kingdom of God. He was dumbfounded by the teaching of this man, Jesus. Nicodemus could not comprehend how Jesus could claim to have such knowledge, which like Agur, as he would well know Agur, how could you possibly know these things? And then Jesus says these words, no one has ascended into heaven except he who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. The Son of Man. Nicodemus knew the scriptures, one of the greatest teachers in Israel. He knew Agur's words. Nicodemus must have been shocked for what Jesus is basically saying is, I am the one whom Agur was searching for. I am the one who has been in heaven. I understand the mysteries of the universe. I understand the fabric of reality, the laws of the way that the universe is made. I have, I have been in heaven, and I am the one who has come down from heaven, and I am the one who is now explaining these things to you. I have come to show you the way through the forest. I have come to blaze the trail of wisdom. As Jesus says later, I am the way and the truth. And then Jesus goes on to say something even more shocking. He says these words, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus is saying here, I have come from heaven, but I'm going to go back to heaven, but I'm going to do it 
by way of the cross. And the cross for Jesus is going to mean the opposite of all the benefits that we talked about earlier with the wisdom in Proverbs chapter 3. Jesus is saying, I am wisdom personified and I will live a wise life, but my life is not going to be have long years. My life is going to be cut off. My life is going to be cut off so that anyone who believes in me can have eternal life. Jesus is saying, I am going to lose the favor of God and man, even though I'm going to live a wise life. I'm going to lose it so that you can gain it. I'm going to trust in God with all of my heart and all of my mind, but God is not going to make my path straight. My path is going to end in my own violent death. I'm going to do this. I'm going to walk this path so that God can make your paths straight. Jesus is saying, I am going to lose all of my riches, and I am the wealthiest one in the universe. I'm going to give up all of my wealth, not just the first fruits. I'm going to give it all up so that you and anyone who believe in me can be eternally rich in my kingdom with my Father. So you see, ultimate wisdom is a person. This is one of the defining issues of our day and age. Who defines reality? Who defines what is right and wrong? And the answer of our day is I do. The answer of everyone in our culture is I decide these things. I decide how I feel. I define how I will live. I define these matters. But the book of Proverbs says this is the way of the fool. Listen to Agur's words. Are you really so wise as to define all of reality? Are you really so wise as to fully understand the truth? Have you been up to heaven to see the view down below and are able to come down and now blaze the trail? Can you do that? Proverbs is saying, don't be foolish. No human being can do that, but one who ascended to heaven came down for us and blazes the trail of wisdom for us. Jesus is ultimate reality. Jesus is wisdom personified. Jesus is God in human flesh. Therefore, he knows the path. He can show you the path to walk. So the only question then is, will you follow him? That's what it means to be a disciple. A disciple is one who follows in the path of the master, the rabbi. To be a disciple means to say, Jesus, I am not wise enough to understand all of life, even myself. And so I will follow you. Whatever steps you say for me to take, I will take. And so you begin to follow the person of Jesus Christ day after day, week after week, and you learn to walk the path of wisdom. And friends, you can trust that he has your best interest at heart and that he will lead you the right way. For he gave up his very life that you might have eternal life. See, this is what carried Elizabeth Elliot. Let's wrap up with these words that she wrote. She says, there will be no intellectual satisfaction on this side of heaven to that age-old question, why? But although I have not found intellectual satisfaction, I have found peace. And the answer I say to you is not an explanation, but a person. Jesus Christ, my Lord and my God. 
It's he who was the word before the foundation of the world, suffering as a lamb slain, and he has a lot up his sleeve that you and I haven't the slightest idea about. He's told us enough so that we may know that suffering is not for nothing. Grow in wisdom. Step by step, left, right, left, right, day after day, Know God, know yourself, submit to Scripture, be generous with the wealth that God gives you, and of course, make sure you continue to learn from adversity. Keep following Jesus down the path, and you will become wise. Let's pray together. Our Father, we confess that we so often get this wrong. So often we will judge you and your ways as if we are wise enough to understand even a fraction of them. But we this morning say that differential between you, the great shepherd, and us, the sheep, is so great and so vast. We just want to follow you and to trust you. And even though we have a hard time doing that often, Father, enable us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the ultimate proof that you are with us and for us. Jesus, the ultimate proof that you love us and you will not forsake us, that we can trust that wherever he leads, it's worth following. And we can say with Job that even though you may slay us, yet we will trust you. Work that kind of faith in us. Work that kind of wisdom in us, we pray. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.